Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey, it's Jose Galison. This is No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. I'm also on all the major podcatchers. I'm also on Odyssey, too. Today, my guest is Buck Johnson. We're just going to be shooting the shit, just kind of talking about him in general. No specific topic today. As always, I like money, so give me that. Patreon.com slash No Way Jose 2020. You can get uh, my episodes out earlier. I usually, I'm very uh, all over the place with how I schedule my episodes. I'll do a bunch all at once and not do anything for a while. So I like to release in a slow drip. If you like to get them when it drops, uh, get on the Patreon. As always, uh, Top Lobster is the fucking man. Uh, TopLobster.com if you want to get his shit. He's got my merch there and he's got a whole bunch of other merch. So with that, let's go ahead and bring on Buck. What's up, dude? What's up? I, so is this broadcasting live? Uh, I, I do it because I'm a, I'm a retard when it comes to tech. So what I do okay. is I stream to a live stream. There's a little inside baseball for the people, but I stream it to a live stream that's private. So uh, that way, if anything weird goes, anything goes fucky with the tech, I can like, I have it backed up in a lot in a live stream video that only I have access to. It's just because I don't trust tech. So I like to have redundancies. So that way, okay. if I need to, I can rip it from there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, maybe one day, maybe once I get monetized and have super chats, maybe I'll go live. But right now there's no point. You know, it's like you have a, kind of weird live streaming when you have like five people in the stream in the live stream yeah, you know? gotcha. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i, I see you just you just started. oh you're good right. <laughs> this right. isn't a this isn't a professional atmosphere you're good um yeah i've seen you start doing live streams really recently too so yeah it's been kind of cool so yeah it's yeah. been fun um I, I i think the first one i hmm i can't remember the first one. Oh, it was with matt erickson and then yeah. We did one. I did it really with Matt Erickson because we're buddies. He's awesome. And he knew how to do all that stuff. So he kind of gave me the tutorial behind <laughs> the scenes. And then we went live and then jumped shortly thereafter into that post-libertarian roundtable. And that's the one that seemed to get uh, a lot of feedback on both sides. Yeah. I mean, the only drawback with the live streams, and I know you can attest to this, uh, the people who don't podcast only know, but it is like a it's this annoying thing where like now you're at the mercy of tech issues. Whereas now, like, like right where we're doing now, I'm going to release this later. So I can always, if there's anything weird happens, like say you cut out, I can always, yep. you know, figure something out. I mean, not that I have any editing skills whatsoever, but I can probably crowdsource some homie out there to help out or something. But yeah. you know, if you're live stream, you're, you're at the wheels of uh, tech and that can be awkward, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, so I kind of wanted to get into you. So if you could, first off, touch on who you are, uh, just kind of a quick hand intro. And we're going to go more into who you are and what you're about in this episode. Just kind of a quick intro for people so they know who you are, what you're about. Kind of like maybe a quick little plug of what you do. All right. Like well, I do a few things. Yeah, podcast-wise, I host the Counterflow podcast with Buck Johnson. That would be me out of Lockhart, Texas, uh, a little small town about 30 minutes south of Austin. And prior to January 2021, it was called Death to Tyrants. So some people might recognize that name. I jumped aboard what is called the Renegade Media Network, a network owned by my pal Thaddeus Russell. And we did a little bit of a 
facelift and name change and rebranding. And now it is Counterflow with Buck Johnson. And uh, yeah, I've been going at it for a few years. So you didn't just have any sort of info, inside info and just figured that'd be a, an untenable name after January 6th? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, I didn't see the writing on the wall, but um, it, it is weird. I had more than one person that's well known turn me down uh, to be interviewed because oh, of okay. the name Death to Tyrants. So I had been thinking about changing it anyway, and then Thaddeus approached me to join his network uh, initially as a separate show. So I would do two and I, that's just too much to do yeah. two. And I want to put all my love and, and inspiration and work into one thing. And I was already thinking of changing a few things anyway. I didn't want to be pigeonholed yeah. as like death to tyrants. This is just ANCAP podcast or something like that. So, yeah, no, I definitely, I took that in mind too. When I first started my show with the no way Jose name, cause I, I kind of thought about pigeonhole my first, my mind at first, at first, when I first started, my show, I was initially only wanting to focus on cultural topics. And then later, it's just like, I can only talk about that so much. Like, those are fun to go on. I still try to occasionally do stuff like that. But it's like, now I'm glad I didn't like pigeonhole myself with some name like that. Because, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know how many people I've heard later. I mean, it's funny, too. The people say it are like the really successful ones. So it's yes. like, what are you complaining about? Right. Like, <laughs> but I, I understand it, too, especially the long run and how that becomes an issue. Uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's move on into, I want to talk on, and I kind of mentioned earlier what you do. I did want to touch on a little bit that, you know, me and you have something in common and that we both worked for the state or you do currently work for the state. Yes. Um, I was military for 11 years as active duty military. I just got out recently. It was in July. Um, I just, I mean, it wasn't entirely a selfish, like, you know, principled thing. It was partially, I saw a little bit of writing the wall. And also mm -hmm. there is uh once you get past a certain point in the, at least in, from where I came from, I was in the air force, I was a mechanic. Uh, once you start getting past a certain point, like uh, I was also an E6, you start seeing the bureaucracy and mm -hmm. you start seeing kind of the ugliness, like especially as a mechanic early on, it's not so bad. It's like, you're just, you're just a mechanic. You're just doing your job, but it starts just getting really just kind of fucking gay, <laughs> like, you know? And then also I just too, like with the, a lot of the economic stuff going on, I kind of saw the writing on the walls. Like, I don't know if I really want to, not that I'm like worried I'm going to be sent off to some war because I'm a mechanic. I work on planes. I was like, I was away from the action. You know what I mean? They don't ever put their, their planes at risk usually. So I was, but I also just like with the way things are, it's like, do I really want to be dependent on a state? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. So I'm trying to reduce it even now. Uh, but you, you are a firefighter. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit different. Um because this is one of those things that probably, well, not even probably, almost certainly would exist in the absence of a state. Not yeah. that a military wouldn't either, but it probably would definitely be insanely different. So I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit. Talk about, you know, how long you've been doing it, your theories on, you know, with working for the state and such, you know. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I have some friends within my fire department that would call themselves ANCAPs. And we've talked about it, you know, like, shit. Like we work for the government and we're ANCAPs. Like, how does this fit? How does this, how do you square this? And there's no, if you want to do what we do on the level that we do it, there's no other choice. And so we don't, have, and plus for myself, I'm on my 23rd year of doing it. Um, at this point, I'm 44. <laughs> yeah, there's that. And I mean, I can retire at any moment, but to quit and just, uh, there's no private fire departments around here. Yeah. Um, 
And like I said to we, it's a fun job and, and it is rewarding at times. It's, it's tiring at times, of course, but pulling people out of buildings and doing CPR and saving them. We had a two month old a few months ago. Uh, we did CPR on, saved her. So, I mean, if you like doing that stuff, and I do, I mean, it's all I've ever done really besides uh, podcast and <laughs> lift weights and, and uh, stuff. So that's the only option I've got really and, yeah. and, and, until someone wants with, with some overhead wants to start a private fire department in my area. I'm all hands on, but uh, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. that's no, completely understandable. I mean, like I said, yours is a little bit different. There's a difference. There's a big difference between uh, being a firefighter, which is something that exists in the absent state, or being like military, being you know involved in. Because the way I always looked at it, I was like, it really wasn't until I crossed that like anarchist divide that it really started fucking with me. But it for me, I worked on planes that refueled planes that bombed Yemeni, like the Yemenis and shit like that. So it's like I can see a direct correlation. Yes. Whereas you know, as a firefighter, it's like I mean. I don't know. Maybe you could get really ambiguous and be like somehow connected to some sort of evil, the state, but at the end of the day, it's something that exists in the absence. There's, it is pretty harmless. I mean, the biggest thing is you could say is that maybe it'd be more efficient in the absence of a state, which kind of leads me to the next point. Like, have you noticed stuff like that, that like you can see where the state's kind of, I don't know, perverting what it should be or what it could be. Uh, and kind of, have you noticed any influence like that? I mean, especially being in 23 years, I'm sure you see some of the higher up stuff. I don't know if you've noticed anything like that. I'm not trying to get you in trouble at your station or anything. No, no, you won't. <laughs> I, I've never said the actual organization's name. So I've yeah. always been uh, smart enough to not uh, divulge that just, you know, to, to keep everyone can try to guess. That's fine. But as long as I'm not on record saying it, I can't get in trouble. Um, you know, a little bit, but but to be honest, I have been quite impressed with how efficient at least my fire department is. There are some in this state I know for a fact that have gotten into a lot, a giant mess, uh, usually involving pension issues and overtime issues like that. But the one I work for, to be quite honest, is pretty good. And I suspect that there's corporations and, and big businesses around Texas that are far more inefficient than, than we are. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty simple stuff. You know, there's always stuff I could nitpick. The fleet of vehicles needs to be upgraded. But I mean, overall, with the tone goes off, we go there within two minutes, solve a problem as best and quickly as we can. And we come back and, and we don't just lay around and watch cartoons and stuff like that. I'm in charge on my crew. So we work out, we do training. Um, we keep up with with stuff that we need to keep up with. So and, you know, we're kind of a family. It's pretty fun. Yeah, that, that makes sense to an extent because I would assume, I mean, I don't know the structure of the like the organization of like firefighting essentially, but I would assume it's insanely decentralized, which is yes. very localized to a, a ridiculous degree. Whereas me being military was much, there's so much, you know, it's while there are different bases and different branches, it's very much all under this one umbrella of the DOD. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the, with that comes some of the bureaucracy that, you know, plays into it. So and that would be the case here that you, you hit the nail on the head. It's so decentralized. Not only the fire department structures, there is no or at least that I'm aware of, there's no federal fire department. Right. So it's not the U.S. fire department with a branch in Texas, then a branch in San Antonio, Austin and, and spider webbing from that. It's just each locality does their thing. And even within the locality, my fire station 
I run my shift. I have to take orders to an extent from the the captain above me, the chief above me, but there's probably six people total in line until I get to the top. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I can call my fire chief of the fire department and complain or have an, if I have an issue, you couldn't call Joe Biden or Donald Trump, <laughs> the, the head of the military. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, yeah, that aspect of it helps a lot. Yeah. So I'm curious, why did you start a podcast? And, and first off, before you do, how long have you been doing a podcast? I, let's see, since 2018, like January, February, 2018. So what is that? Three years already. Yeah. yeah wow. Um, I did it because I, I listened to a bunch of podcasts and I started thinking initially, I'm a musician too. I forgot to say that. And the, I was living in the city of Austin for a while. I do not now, but, uh, I was a musician there, which is, uh, it was at some point called the live music capital of the world. I know this will surprise you, but a lot of the people I was associating with music wise were of the left. And so for a while I was like the, the kooky libertarian conspiracy friend and they would kind of bounce ideas. Well, what, what would you do with this? And, and I thought, okay, twofold. If I start a podcast, like I've been listening to these, I can get listeners that are my friend group or the musician group and slowly i'll convince them that our ways are right and they're all going to turn if they just hear these ideas (laughs) that didn't happen the other uh idea i had was i could also meet a lot of these people that i look up to in, in our circles and interview them and get to pick their brains on issues and and all the way of course i'm sure you've learned this as well you learn a lot because when I have to prep for an author or, or a guest of any sort and I'm studying the material, well, then I'm learning. And then even when you're doing the interview, sometimes you're caught up in what you're going to say next. And, and so you kind of learn from that, but then I'll listen to it one or two times afterwards. And then things, little things click. And I've learned a lot over the years from just the guests that I've had. Oh, so you, you re, uh, this is more inside baseball stuff, but you re-listen to your episodes mostly? Almost all the time. I mean, yeah, I'm the same way here. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like in a weird way, it's kind of borderline narcissistic, but at the same time, I'm almost doing it to like beat up on myself a little bit to like yep. improve. So yeah. And it, I don't know. I feel like I've gained a lot from it. a lot of people don't. I've talked to a lot of other podcasts and they say it don't, but I, I don't know. To me, it's almost like watching game tape, you know what I mean? Like for exactly. like, you know, high school sports and stuff like that. I mean, and even then, like, you know, back in high school sports, when I would watch like game tape, even then that's kind of the same idea where it's kind of brutal. You're like, oh shit, like I didn't do that right. And yep. it. I mean, people think of it, a lot of people, when I tell them that, like, what are you, like, narcissistic? I'm like, no, like, I hate the sound of my voice. Uh, you guys make fun of my giggle. I hate it, too. <laughs> I, like, I fucking, like, I, I'm catching all the shit I'm messing up. But, and, dude, to touch on the uh, studying thing, like, I'm doing my Erica's Handbook series right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, yeah. When, like, I've been having to, like, read every one of these essays, like, mm-hmm. over and over. So, like, mm-hmm. and even then, sometimes I'll also do an audiobook. So, like, like I will have... You know, for example, the Anatomy Stay episode I did with Dave, I must have listened to the audiobook like probably five plus times. And I probably read through it uh, like probably two times while taking notes and stuff. And I mean, I know you probably wouldn't get that from watching it, but I'm no genius. So it's like I have to work for the shit. <laughs> so, I mean, perfect. that's perfect example. That, <laughs> and that's that's really like the joy of taking on a project of and I'm impressed that you've been doing that to take on that book. And you're like, well, I've got to study every chapter. So you will know it better than most people, probably. 
Yeah, I know it's cool too because I just do like especially with that one specifically. I'm picking up so much, especially because it's a well-rounded like group of anarchists. Yeah. And it's like now this stuff is trying to play into like for example, Thaddeus. I did the uh the Emma Goldman one, and like the and we'll touch this a little bit too. Um uh, actually I'm glad I brought it up now because I forgot to put in my notes here. But uh she kind of literally is she's t- her essay is about the minority and the majority, and which kind of in a sense is almost like elitism populism. Mm-hmm. And I think that she has a lot to say there. Me and Thad kind of disagrees. He's more of a populism guy, and I think uh, really, I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit more of an elitism guy. Okay. Uh, personally, <laughs> I think ideas are driven by the minority, as she would put it, and then the majority kind of fucks it up. <laughs> like, and there's it's kind of figuring out how do we fuck with this phenomenon. And I do think there's something to uh, focusing on the minority. Um, but yeah, I don't want to focus on that too much. I'm jumping ahead. I, I do want to know how has 2020 affected you? I'm kind of curious how it affected you in the uh, in the being as you're being a firefighter and such. Uh, I don't know if it affected you. It was me when I was military. It was pretty cake, at least at first. I looked, just yeah. didn't come to work most of the time. I got paid. So, see, I I was the opposite, and I yeah. I did I never stopped going to work because obviously that's essential. And I wasn't bitter over it. I I didn't want to sit at home. Like I, I saw some people that I know really happy to sit at home. And I, and this, uh, someone I know made a post saying all the people out there shaming people that they should be studying or learning a new task or a new skill or go or working out at their home. Fuck all of you guys. There's nothing wrong with sitting there playing video games all day long. This is a, uh, you know, this is a, uh, there's COVID it's, it's, everything's in, we, we shouldn't be doing anything and there's no excuse uh, that we can't just sit there and play video games. I thought, what a strange uh, take. And I never stopped going to work. And I thought, that's interesting. I, you know, on one hand, obviously I realize I'm essential, but it's like, I never stopped. Why did anyone else stop going to work? I, it, it didn't click to me. And I, I got COVID. <laughs> so maybe a, a hater would say, well, you got sick. And so I dealt with that. Now I'm actually glad because I, I feel like I'm shielded with these antibodies that I still have. I was tested recently. Yeah. Uh, how, how was that for you? I actually just recently, this is a perfect little segue in my next point. I just recently had COVID. Me and my, me and my, both my daughters, I don't know if my wife had it or what. We never got tested for like, see if she got like the antibodies or whatever. Cause I mean, maybe she had it and just wasn't a big deal, mm-hmm. but me and both my daughters had it clearly had it. Uh, I never got tested, uh, but I, clearly had it um but my kids did get tested and they had it uh my wife never really had any symptoms so maybe she just shrugged it off and we were fine um same same, yeah i mean i was like i felt like shit like probably like pretty bad for like a day or two but no bad no worse than some of like some flus i've had in my life you know like nothing too crazy uh then yeah then i had like a lingering cough and that was about it really so i don't know if your symptoms were about the same I lost my taste and smell. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Hurt. My my kids did, though. <laughs> that was the weirdest part because otherwise I didn't have a fever. The only reason I got tested is because I, uh, I, on the way to work that morning, I worked out at the at a, my gym and it kicked my ass a little more than usual. But I thought I did a, something different in the workout that I don't usually do. And I thought, oh, that's it. I don't usually do lunges. I did lunges. And all day at work, I was like, yeah, man, that did kick my ass. And the next day I was getting off and leaving and my lower back was sore and it seemed like a longer soreness than it should have. It wasn't just the cramping from working out. And I, so I called my chief, just let you know, my back sore. It, maybe I should get checked. I don't know. He said, yeah, let's get you a test. Got the test. Was positive. By the time I took the test a day later, I should say I didn't have any soreness, no fever, 
but it was positive. And then within a day, my taste was gone. It was the weirdest thing to basically feel normal. I was probably stuffed up a little bit and not, I was starving all the time and I could not taste a damn thing. I, I, my wife would go get me, I, to be respectful to the, to the public, I did stay inside and didn't go anywhere. So my wife went to give me Indian food. We made it as spicy as you possibly could. Didn't break through. Um, I started sipping whiskey straight, nothing. So that was weird to basically feel okay. Uh, and you can't taste. And I will say at the time, it was the 4th of July weekend of 2020. At first, I felt a little bit like a leper because it was kind of new back then. And I was like, oh, shit, I have it. And my, you know, I was doing FaceTime and Zoom sessions with friends and like, you have COVID? Oh, my God. You know, and it was such a strange uh, moment. But I, like I said, I'm glad I had it. And 14 months later, almost, uh, I got tested again for the antibodies and I still have them. So there's an excuse right there for your damn vax. I don't need it. I've got exactly. nature vaccine. Yeah. And that kind of perfectly segues too. And I were talking about like people sit on their ass, like where I had less time when I had less time during uh, the height of the lockdowns and stuff. Uh, I, this was when we really didn't know a lot of the information. Mm -hmm. I was genuinely not like freaked out, but I was concerned. I didn't know. I have a family. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to be. My kids aren't young, young, but I'm like, I don't know how this is going to affect, affect the young. I, I don't know. But so what I did is I was just like, well, we're going to, you know, clean up our diet around the house a little bit. Not that we had a bad diet. I started, I actually started working out more because uh, I'm, I've always like, I've always been one who just likes to lift heavy and be big. So for that period of time, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to up my cardio and up my reps. I'm going to up, up my volume because, you know, this is like, I need to be more in that kind of shape to be able to combat this stuff. And so like I was taking this shit into account. It's so funny that people are like scared of COVID, but then not doing a goddamn thing about it. It's yes. like, so like you're going to sit at home and play video games and eat, eat like shit and get fat. And then, and then you're going to freak out later. Like you had months knowing there was this thing going around that, Hey, if you just improved your health, you'd probably be able to handle this a little bit better, you know? And that's, you know? that's who they were already though. And they needed the, the, the easiest excuse to actually be that. And so the urge to sit around and eat and play video games and do literally nothing else was sitting there bubbling below the surface, you get a scare tactic like, ooh, a, an invisible virus floating around that could kill you. Perfect. Now I can do what I wanted. And I get to go online and virtue signal that if you don't do what I'm doing, you're a piece of shit and you're killing people. And so I, I saw a lot of those kind of things collide. And, and uh, I've said this and I'm, it's no pun intended, but it really unmasked a lot of uh, people where I had suspicions that they were I mean, let's face it, bad people that I knew, and it really, really showed the ugly side of who they are over that year. Yeah, no, just, I don't know, just to me, blew my mind. That was like, you're, you're basically being told there's this thing going around, and if you just improve your health, it'll, you'll probably handle it better. Like, it's just well-known yep. information with any virus, and yep. people didn't do anything about it. Like, I, I don't know, that's blew my. I did so much with all the time I had. I was working out like crazy. I was reading. I started a garden. Yeah. I mean, I failed miserably, but it was a learning experience. You know? Right. <laughs> um, I, I started studying man economy and state and I took a, yes. a course on that. And I guess maybe you could say I failed it miserably too, because it was hard as shit. But uh, yeah, I was like, fuck it. We're here. I'm going to start reading this thick ass book. Um, I think I took one of Stapleton. He was also doing um, these classes on uh, the market 
Uh, see, I can't even remember it was so far back, but he used to do trading. And so I, I took one of his classes on that. And I was like, well, I, I can't go anywhere during the time I had it. So, uh, and I might've played a video game or two, you know, there's Madden, but yeah, I, I also did podcasting. I think I did a bonus episode or two. So I used it to try to be productive. Yeah, no, the podcasting for me was born out of the lockdowns because I was like, I have extra time. Like, I mean, I, I also was like, this was born out of like another project I was working on. And so I was like, it was meant to be an extension of that. And then it's just like, I have this extra time. Like, why not? Like, I have nothing to lose. Like, it, I mean, it's because for me, my, my I've, I don't know if I've said on the show before, but my wife works nights and I'm, I'm very, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say I'm a productive person, but like, I'm not one to like sit around and play video games or watch TV. I watch a little bit, but like, so when my, like usually on a night when my wife wasn't home, it'd be like, I just felt like, like once the kids went to bed, it was like, I just, I'm kind of just bored. Like I would read usually, I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe watch a little TV, but just kind of just felt like this empty time. It's like, I might as well use it. Like, why not? Like, it's fine too. Like us podcasters, I've heard a lot of people criticize podcasters be like, Oh, you look at you wasting this time or you could be doing something else. And it's like, uh, this isn't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I put a lot of time into this, but not yeah. that much. Like, so, like I have, I have, I work full time. Me and my wife both work full time. We have a side business, like do plenty of other shit. It's just, if anything, this is born out of me being a productive individual. Cause it's like, I just, I have the spare time. Why the fuck not? So, I think this is productive though. This is getting yeah. ideas and discussions out into just getting it out there. I, I mean, that is productive. This is what more people need to be doing. Yeah, there definitely is something too. Like I, I do think, I mean, I guess depending on what you're doing, you shouldn't put too much time to it. I mean, you need to make sure you focus on productive stuff. If, if it's if it's like fucking up your real life, like definitely probably yeah. do it. But I mean, for example, I just had um my my new boss for my new job. He he borrowed my fucking anatomy of the state because he found out I had a podcast. He watched my episode with Dave Smith and was like, wow, that's really cool. And then he also watched the Tower Power episode we had with Dave Smith and was like, thought it was hilarious. Like he loves Tower Power Hour now. And he's a pretty normal guy. I mean, like, I, I don't know if I necessarily say he's like a normie. And so that like appealed to the normal. And it's funny too, something like Tower Power Hour that he clearly like loves now. And it's like, uh, I don't know if you've watched the show. It's very, yeah. uh, very crude. It's like, we, 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 uh, we say it's like a media, it's like part of the problem meets Legion of Skanks. Yeah. So like, that's kind agree. of vibe. And he clearly digs it. So there's something to that. Like, I mean, I, he hasn't read the book. I'll, I'll be back uh, on Tuesday and see him, and we'll see. Uh, he should have finished it by then. It's a short well, book, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I just book. maybe I just made my boss an anarchist. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard not to read Anatomy of State and not. I don't think I've ever met anyone who read Anatomy of State. I was like, meh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so how has your thinking changed since you started your channel? Because I know, especially as of late, I feel like I've noticed a change in your thinking. So. Hmm. Since I started the podcast altogether, yeah, altogether, yeah. Oh, it changed a lot. Um, maybe some because of the podcast, a little bit, depending on. I guess you could say meeting new people and hearing new voices. But certainly, 2020, I would say 2016 through 2021 changed a lot, and it took me longer. I'm ashamed to say longer than it should have for some of those uh, hard facts to seep into my brain. And I was, I guess I was just instinctively fighting them for a long time. I looking back now, I would call myself a blue pilled libertarian up until maybe two years ago. Oof. So probably 
I, I, I don't, you know, we talked about going back and listening to your shows. I don't go listen to the first year of mine. Uh, I would cringe. I think it would oh, yeah. make me ill, but yeah, the last couple of years, everything's changed. I mean, uh, politically I have come to think for one, I'm not a political party person at all. And so I was for many years. I mean, I was in the Libertarian Party since 2000. And when I went back in 2018, um, I guess that was to to try to be a delegate for Hornberger, right? Yeah, would that have been? Yeah. Um, I looked around and I saw the same people, just much older, uh, doing the same things, never having achieved anything other than being elected such a position within the local party. Okay. That does nothing. And so, yeah, I was like, kind of got started to get disheartened with that. There was, I will say in their, in their uh, defense, there was a fresh young group of people there and I'm still friends with all of them. I had not met them before. We we're uh, called the Austin and caps kind of uh, unofficially. And so, you know, we've got signal groups and all of that. So, and I go hang out with those guys. That's nice. But the party has done nothing. And so I just, and I, you know, and we can talk strategy and whatnot. And, and, but even at that, I'm not going to be a Republican party person. I was certainly will never, ever be a democratic party person. So I, I think one of my changes I would say is that I've come to think that political parties uh, showing loyalty to strictly one of them no matter what happens is silly. And so that's, that's a big change. I also have come to see that the MAGA crowd, the MAGA voters, a lot of them were really red pilled. In fact, I, I, my dad was red pilled on some things before I was, and I'm kind of ashamed to say that too, but he was ready. That, that crowd is an army looking now for a leader and they know what the military industrial complex is. They know what the cathedral is. They might not call it that, although some do now. They understand that that the way things are presented by the media and by universities and, and these institutions that are so evil that we hate, they understand now that that's all fake and that those groups of those powerful organizations and entities hate them. And so I think that's a big change. And I've uh, realized that it took too long again, but uh, those are two of the big changes, I would say. Yeah, it's cool. No, uh, there, there is something to that, like MAGA point. I just had on the other day uh, this girl named Ashton Birdie, which I guess she was a big MAGA person. Uh, but she was, to kind of touch on your point, she was an anarchist before she started going down the MAGA route. And her, which makes sense if you think about it, because a lot of these MAGA types, it was like, hey, this guy's a big F you to the system. Yes. So he did kind of suck in some of these people. And like now they're disillusioned. So now she's like coming back to like the anarchist ways. And it's mm -hmm. just kind of interesting to see that there's a wide opening. There. Like she has 160,000 subs and like on YouTube. And it's like, so there's that huge, like that. I feel like that's just a good example of like, look at these people. Like here's this giant audience of people that clearly to some extent identified with her. And that's yeah. kind of her stories, anarchist to, to MAGA back to yeah. anarchist. So there's like something there. Cause it's like, Maybe those other people didn't consider themselves anarchists, but they clearly were hip to the message she was putting out, where it was kind of like, fuck the system. Yeah. But like, and something about, you know, Trump was fuck the system. 
But I mean, yeah. I would assume me and you know that, like, obviously, like, yeah, fuck the system, but like this, this, this isn't productive as well. Although I will say there are some silver linings to uh, Trump, and Big. I also see uh, silver linings to Biden as well. I uh, same. I, <laughs> the silver I, linings they kind of yeah. go together. The silver linings for Trump, in my opinion, is that it red pilled and woke up a what millions of people. Uh, my my dad, for instance, who's straight MAGA guy all the way now former neocon he got a a subscription offer in the mail uh, from national review rather than just rip it up like i would he actually took the time to open it and he wrote back i'm a maga i'm a maga guy through and through i have no time for your neocon trash and and mailed it back to them so <laughs> that's very that's a very common sentiment and so for anyone within the libertarian sphere to just say well, I don't want to reach out to these MAGA, you know, I, they're all blood-soaked monsters and these silly things like that. That's not, there's a difference between Republican Party leaders and politicians and the Republican Party voters. Mm-hmm. And so there might be a slow push to where some of the politicians are actually better, Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like that. But uh, don't confuse those two, the politicians and the voting crowd. The voting crowd is looking for uh, a charismatic leader right now, someone like Ron DeSantis, I suspect, or Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I, I just want to touch on uh, why do you, do you consider yourself an anarchist first off, or or do you not, uh, or do you just not choose to go by that label? Or? I don't usually go by that label. I mean, philosophically, let's let's put it this way: I'm a uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, okay. private property society. So yes. Uh, <laughs> libertarian so yeah i mean i think ancap's in there somewhere it's all philosophical of course because i'm willing to use the state to get to to certain uh ends and for instance the the you know ten thousand Liechtenstein's model and, and things like that if we get down to something where there's still some small form of government uh i'd rather have that than what we have now yeah so and me as an agorist, like, I mean, I'll take that deal in an instant. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, I mean, uh, private property society would be my, would be what I would like. And very yeah. small uh, versions of them all over the place. Ch- uh, patchwork style. Yeah. So what brought you to there? I'm assuming it was Hoppe then. I was just kind of curious because for me, like it was, it was Rothbard. It was Anatomy of State. Like I was a, I was like a super duper minarchist. And then it was like, I read Anatomy of State and just boom. It's like the, you know, the scales fell off my eyes type thing. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That was yeah. mine actually too, is Rothbard. Oh, yeah. And then maybe a couple of Rothbard books and then quickly to uh, Democracy, the God that Failed. Mm-hmm. And immediately, I, I, Rothbard's a very good writer and I, I think a lot of people would prefer him. For some reason, I liked Hoppe's writing better and his, his style of talking, I, I just prefer it, especially compared to Rothbard. I don't know if you've ever seen his old videos. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's, always, he's not the easiest to listen to, but... Uh, I just, uh, Hop is my favorite of, of the group, really, overall. Yeah. And uh, I, I think there's something to be said. I need to read more Mises. I've got a couple of his that I've read through. Uh, Tho Bishop is convincing me, and I believe him, that he, his, some of his stuff's pretty right wing, and, and it, he doesn't always get credit for, for that aspect of things. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like, I need to read more of his things as well. Yeah, I think I've only like listened to a couple audiobooks, if that. I'm not even sure. I haven't really delved deep into Mises as well because it is kind. Of, it's weird because it's like uh, these other thinkers they kind of uh, built off of them. So it's like I feel like to some extent, it's like if you read Rothbard, you almost kind of feel like you kind of don't yes. need to read Mises. Not to say right. that's true, but you get that feeling. So, of course, right? Yeah, 
I mean, it's kind of like, well, he's just kind of filtering it, like basically what Mises is saying through his own view. And yes. the same thing goes for Hoppe. He's basically just expounding on what uh, Rothbard did, but with his own little flair. And the same things for us people listening out. You guys don't need to listen to Tom Woods and Dave Smith. You've got Jose and Buck. So we've learned from them. So no, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, for real though, there's something to that. Everyone has their own distinct style. I mean, I think I, you know, I joke that I'm a retard who reads books and then tries to explain to other retards. Uh, I have the more the dude bro aesthetic, I think. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that works for some people. I mean, you, uh, you have your own aesthetic. I mean, it really is just a different strokes for different folks. I mean, whatever takes off, takes off. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the rising tide raises all ships. So like, yeah. whatever, you know, like whatever works, I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, let's, let's pivot into tactics. So like, what would you consider yourself? I'm kind of curious first off, are we going to do it? Like, what would you consider yourself? If you had to pick a label, like, you know, are you like paleo? Would you consider like yourself? That. You like paleo? Paleo okay. It's kind of what I figured. All right. Well, then let's uh let's let's talk paleo a little bit. What, what how would you describe paleo for those out there uh, listening? It's uh I would just another word for it would be right wing libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a more cultural conservative version of libertarianism, and meaning that we all, of course, still agree with the non aggression principle in theory, but uh, celebrating sex work and and prostitution and heroin. And that kind of thing is probably not uh, something a lot of people that are into cultural leftism end up being philosophically leftists who at some point were to be that you have to have the state or something thereof to enforce it because it's it, you can't get to an egalitarian society. It's, it's impossible. But to attempt to get one, you've got to have. Uh, some violent, violent uh, means to do so. And so I, I feel that, like I mentioned earlier, that that a conservative crowd is much more uh, open to the message of right wing libertarianism. And I think that a right wing culture is where liberty would flourish the the best, in my opinion. And that's who, you know, that's who I'd want to be my neighbors. I if If it's a bunch of heroin users and you know living next door to me i don't want that do i want to put them in a cage no i just want to as hoppa would say forcibly remove them from my area not in my covenant community <laughs> yeah exactly so to speak. <laughs> that's one uh, one of my favorite phrases as well <laughs> you see some degeneracy not in my covenant community um yeah there's a, I, I definitely am very amenable to that concept i have said a lot though that there is something to i do think the state kind of fucks up to where, like, I do think culturally speaking, the right is more on point. But yeah. something about the state being there, I feel like, kind of fucks up, like, essentially the market of culture, if you will. It has it, and, and Hoppe does touch on this too, how it mm-hmm. kind of enforces degeneracy. But then with that, I feel like, it, yeah, I feel with that though, I feel like it kind of then obscures what is and what isn't. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying the right, the generic right cultural view is 100% correct. But I would say it's mostly because I but I do think the state kind of gets in the way of determining what the perfect culture would be. It kind of obscures that. But I, I generally think we do have a rough idea of what it should be, if that makes sense. It does. And you're exactly right. The state totally obscures it. Well, the state uh, props it up in the Federal Reserve, things like that. Uh, they give subsidies. They subsidize bad behavior and allow it to continue. And so as long as you have institutions like the federal reserve and the state uh, at large in in place 
that's a very good way to put it. You won't see things as they actually are probably with mm-hmm. culturally left and right. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess that kind of, to me, that kind of touches on like maybe a little bit of what I see might be missing with paleo to where I think culturally speaking, they are sometimes some people be a little bit uh, cocksure of that, like that, what their idea of culture is correct, where it's like, you might be a little bit off. We don't know unless we have anarchy, we won't know. And even then, um, you know, like to touch on Hoppe, you wouldn't say those people shouldn't exist. They would just have their own covenant communities. Just that 100%. chances are their covenant communities are probably going to go to shit. And then we'll learn which ones work and which ones don't. So pretty quick, like, um, so what would you say the tactics would be though? Cause my idea, I mean, tell, tell me if I'm wrong. I would think that it would be something along, like most paleos would advocate something along the lines of influencing, like maybe something like the GOP on the outside. Cause I actually, while I do consider myself an agorist, I just found myself on a stream the other day defending this this uh kind of almost what um what's his face popular liberty's been pushing to have like a yes. Mises GOP caucus because I could see that I actually think I'm while I am an agorist I am I would prefer <laughs> if people feel like they have to be involved in politics I would actually prefer them to be involved in the GOP on the fringes at this current too. point in time. I where would it's say. like if we had something like a Mises GOP caucus, yes. I actually think that would get far more done yes. than what we have in the Libertarian Party because you're actually in the game. And yeah, you have no chance, at least now, of taking it over, but you can influence it. You know yep. what I mean? Whereas, Correct. You know, If you're going to be in politics, there's only two vehicles that run. That's mm-hmm. just how it is. I mean, we can be a Libertarian philosophically and work with in either one of these vehicles there's two the green party they they know at the end of the day look they've got aoc they've got elements of the green party platform pushed into legislation now they're trying to through the democratic party the libertarian libertarian philosophy can be done that say you you have to use one of the two main vehicles in my opinion i know there's going to be people listening that don't agree with that but uh yeah i i think these guys that are in the LPMC, the ones I know, work their asses off. If you did that in the Republican Party, there, I think there would be a spot for you. There's a, I mean, Tho Bishop works for the Mises Institute. At some point here soon, he's going to be the head of his Republican local party and getting stuff done in Florida that that's changes for the positive. Um, I, I think that you can be a philosophical libertarian, live your life as such, as, as much as we're allowed to. And if you're in politics, push through one of the two major vehicles, the things you'd like to get done. You're going to have to start very locally, just like those doing. I might be doing the same thing here at some point. But and it kind of depends where you're at. I understand that, the, you know, politics, all politics are local. So that's really if you happen to live in some city where the Libertarian Party is stronger than the other two, then by all means, I'm not sure where that is, but then go for it. Uh, I just don't live in an area like that. I live in a small Texas uh, town, and there is no Libertarian Party here. So it would make no sense for me to pledge my allegiance to that party. Uh, it would get it gets nothing done. It would only be counterproductive for the things I want here locally. Yeah, no, I mean, one thing I've been saying as of late, I just feel like, mostly generally speaking, like you said, maybe on a local level, there could be situations where it differs, but I feel like generally speaking, the libertarian party is like this middling nonsense 
where it's like, because they'll go on about messaging, but then they don't realize that like, hey, your messaging to some extent is corrupted by this, mm-hmm. like by utilizing a political party. Mm-hmm. It, and it's like for me, while I while I personally advocate not utilizing political parties, like, but I'm like, if you're gonna do it, like, why not like actually do it effectively? Right. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's kind of like this in between nonsense where they're like, we're yes. gonna do messaging, correct? But we're gonna corrupt the messaging, but then not really get any positive out of it. I mean, I mean, obviously they would disagree, uh, but it just seems to be this like middle of the road thing. And then also like. One thing I've been thinking, a lot of people always bring up too, as, a, as an advocate, to advocate utilizing the Libertarian Party, they'll be like, well, you know what? This Libertarian Party's here and it has my name. And so therefore I should use it because whether I like it or not, it, it, people synonymize it with me. And if, for me, if anything, I see it as, an, as a reason to ditch the motherfucker because it's like, to me, it's like, well, you're kind of implicitly uh, saying right there that, you know, it's kind of not what you would like to be, not a good not a good representation of your views. So yeah. wouldn't that be all the more reason just to distance yourself as far away as possible from it to where it's irrelevant? <laughs> like, yeah. like that would be my personal opinion. I'd rather the Libertarian Party not exist at all, personally. <laughs> yeah, and, and their their counterpoint, and I know because I've heard it, is going to say, well, we're reclaiming the name and making it what it should be. My point then is like, okay, well, then everyone knows what it should be, but no one's still going to vote libertarian. You will have people that are libertarian that understand politics as war. We are at war with the left right now. Voting, I mean, that's like going to war and bringing a Q-tip or something. That, that Just because you have the principles over here, that doesn't do anything. Try to vote as close to your principles as you can. And if you don't feel that one of the main two represents you, don't vote at that level. At some point, you can get down to a local level where you can feel represented. And if you don't, then if you want to get into politics, do at that level, but get into win. If I get into anything, I'm not just going to do it just to half-ass some shit. If, you're, if I get into politics at this point forward, I will be trying to win. Yeah. And I would, one thing I would touch on, too, you said that like they're trying to reclaim it. But my argument would be, well, for how long? Because do you right. really think that we're going to get, I mean, because like, say with the Mises caucus, like this would be like the principled group, like they're going to come in, take over the party. But then like, how long is this going to last? Like what, four years, eight years, 12 years? At what point is this going to start, you know, going back to the blue pill, you know, bitches or whatever? Like, when are they going to reclaim it? Because I just feel like the principled ones aren't going to want to keep sticking around. I think there is, it's funny, we always talk about incentives, but they never apply it to like political parties. So like, what happens when you get this political party? Like, yeah, you took over. Now what? Like, I feel like over time, the incentives will naturally drive it to revert to its state it was before because there's a reason it was like that. And it's been like that. It's because there are incentive structures within utilizing political parties. And I mean, to touch on the minority majority thing, it's kind of like you know, the LP was a minority. The LPMC was a minority. And now they're slowly becoming the majority of this party. And what happens when they become the majority? The message gets diluted. It becomes bullshit. And it starts, I think it just then kind of reverts back to what it was. Over. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
after time. Like maybe not immediately. Maybe you have like one period of time. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, that kind of touches on Hoppe's time preference shit too. There, it's like you know, like okay, cool, you took it over, but it's kind of like this is some high time preference behavior. <laughs> you know, like I feel like it's going to go to shit. It touches yeah. on conquests. They call it conquest second law, which is mm-hmm. it will happen. It has happened in the Libertarian Party, and it will happen unless you make it specifically a right wing movement. It will be infiltrated and it will drift left. That's just yeah. how things work. All right, let's move on. I want to touch on wealth, power, and influence because that's been something I've been digging as of late. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts. And I w- do want to say before that I, uh, I've been thinking on a lot. And I think there's something too. I've been saying wealth, power, and influence and agorism are basically the same thing packaged differently. And because um, I don't think yeah. I've heard any of these wealth, power, influence guys say anything that I would say is not agorism. Like most of them even say like borderline say don't utilize a political system. They might say like use lobbyists or something, which like, okay, I mean, whatever. I mean, I could almost even borderline make an agorist, you know, like straight up from Conk and like make a, might even be able to make an argument saying that it's not necessarily against the principles of agorism. So I don't know. I just I want to hear like your thoughts on wealth, power, and influence. It's been something that's been interesting to me as well. To me, it's kind of like the prime of individualism. Like it's just like, you know, instead of wasting your time, you know, on fruitless, you know, exploits, you're improving yourself essentially. And I just feel like that's individualism at its finest. You are becoming a shining beacon of your principles and essentially shouting out to the world, like, look how well I'm doing. You know, like, you know, it's kind of like leading by example in a sense. You know. Yes, and that's so, that's what I. That's what I try to do in general. I don't know necessarily with my podcast, but that's kind of my philosophy in life. You know, like I'm I'm a lieutenant at work. I don't sit around and and list all of my rules out to my people. They they know what I want, but I do the things that I want them to be, if that makes sense. So I I do exactly what you're saying. I try to be an example of what they should be. So yeah, I mean, I agree with that totally. And Jason, I feel like Jason Stapleton of the Wealth, Power, and Influence podcast, he got some flack a few years ago when he kind of changed course. And I feel like now he just had better foresight than a lot of us did. And he was kind of ahead of this stuff. And you can't argue, he, he you know, he says like what you're saying, not to get into politics is, is his kind of thing. And why would you, I, I think a lot of people in the Libertarian Party need to hear this. And this is not directed at anyone in particular, but just over the, I've been in it, like I said, around it at least for 20 something years now. They need to focus on being like shining beacons and examples of how to live and who to be rather than like a little social club and click of, of misfits, because that doesn't inspire anyone. You can have a great message and the, and libertarians do, uh, it really, but if you look and act like someone that doesn't inspire, any, you know, how are you going to convince someone who just by pretending you're smarter than them? So I think actually living, doing, being the stuff that you talk about is is a much much stronger and more effective way of of leading by uh, example, of course, but just uh, just living your life. So living to be. A, a member of a political party and a po- position of power, like Matt Erickson says, the king of the sandbox at a giant playground, it doesn't do anything for anybody. And so if you, if you, all you have is the messaging with not a healthy example of what to be to back it up, 
then I think it's very shallow. Yeah. I mean, to touch back on like the LP thing, I've been saying as of late too, to kind of touch on the wealth power influence and the agorism thing a little bit is I've been saying like this LP route is kind of like a promoting a, a product that's you isn't finished or isn't even really there because the wealth power influence and agorism is kind of essentially like those two routes are essentially like trying to create the product. Like you are, you know, you yes. are out there, you're creating, you're becoming the elites, you are, you are setting up right. outside systems outside the system, you're whatever. And you are then, you're not even like, I don't know, you are essentially creating this other thing for people to come to. You are creating the product. If you have a good Perfect. enough product, you don't need people. You don't even need promotion if you have a good enough uh, like product. Eventually it will catch on. So, right. I mean, if we're screaming about like, Hey, you know, we're going to end the state, you know, we're going to have a free society. And it's like, well, what are you doing? I'm telling what? you we need a free society. Like, well, why don't you start right. creating it? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. A very famous voice who's a friend of mine in, in our circles will say, told me that the going the LP route is like trying to get in a beat up 60s RV and drive it across the country in the summer and say you've done something. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking too in my head, like that's like having that beat up RV and then bring it to car shows. I'm like, look how awesome it is. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to hear my message? <laughs> exactly. Which, yeah, I mean, there is something too, like, and you touched on too the wealth power and influence. I think there's something too where I don't feel like a lot of people realize that if you are not an impressive individual, no one gives a fuck what you have to say. You can that's be right. logically correct, but if you're fat, if you're fucking poor, if you're whatever, like, I mean, if you're not somebody that people look at and go, that's a fucking man or, or woman yep. or whatever, it's like, they're kind of like, well, cool, dude. Like, whatever. Like, yeah. I, like, well, that's, I don't really give a shit. Fuck off, nerd. Like, no one really wants to hear your logical proofs, you know, when it's just that fat, annoying guy, you know, that's, and there is something too, where it's like a little bit of a social club. Like, I don't, I've never, like, even when I considered, like, was more LP amenable, I never really cared about doing the party shit. I just always seemed fucking Ugh, gay to brutal. me, to be honest. It's <laughs> fucking brutal. Man, I, yeah, I would leave those meetings. And again, this was in the early years, 2000, 2004, 2006. I would leave the meetings and go, are those people? I guess I wouldn't know they're libertarian, except for this was a libertarian party function. Because all you do is talk about Robert's rules of order and these procedural just garbage boring shit and i kind of as a young man maybe naively thought i was getting into it to surround myself with people who philosophically were into the same things and i leave the meetings going i'm not sure what they're into we didn't talk about philosophy it was all strategic not even strategic stuff it was more like just intra-party procedural garbage it was terrible yeah no it it's funny uh a while back and then we had all the lpnh stuff going on i uh i watched a couple of those like youtube live streams they had and it like whenever <laughs> it's like whenever you doubt like me being an agorist like I've, there's been a couple times where i doubt like well maybe i'm not right and then you then i watch one of those and i'm like yeah i'm fucking right <laughs> like, they're just awful but i will give yeah. you credit I, I went to the lp florida convention here and there is something cool about going to stuff like that and a lot of people will bring that up and be like Oh, well, we have these events, we have this community, and it's like, but not, nothing about that is reliant on the political party. Like, that shit can be Correct. done without a political party. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Getting on the biggest platforms and having a very, very good messenger, uh, which I will definitely hand them, can be done without a political party. Yeah. You already have that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, especially with modern days. Like, 
the more technology we get, the less that is a is an actual argument for them to have. Because it's Correct. like shit. I would argue that like Dave Smith is probably bigger than LP National. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, I like, would argue this too. I would argue <laughs> that Dave Smith does not need LP National at all. He's way yeah. better than LP National. Way better. Way way yeah. better. Yeah. No, I love Dave. He's awesome. I mean, I, I, everyone. I feel like a lot of times people get this vibe that I'm like trashing Dave. I love Dave. I just. I just I don't necessarily agree with the route he's going. I think he's a great guy, but uh, he's actually who got me to read Rothbard, and then that's what made me an ink. So I'm actually like eternally grateful to him for that. But I don't necessarily agree with his path. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's right. Who fucking knows? But like, yeah, I know I don't agree with that route personally. But yeah, um, all right, let's pivot to NRX. I want to touch on that because NRX is like a unique thought. I don't really even necessarily. I haven't really done a deep dive. Um, probably the biggest deep dive I really did was your episode with Charlemagne, which mm-hmm. uh, I would actually suggest anyone to go check that out. It's really great. Um, ironically, even that I uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily say how I did with agorism and wealth, power, and influence, how they're borderline the same thing packaged differently, but there's a lot of similarities with that too. Because correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but even they kind of advocate not utilizing the political route. Big they're time. very much like improve yourself, kind of buy your time, be ready. I mean, but they do have like some minor differences. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Are you kind of feeling out the NRX thing too? And then also it's weird. NRX gets this like racism vibe, which I mean, maybe I, that's why I never yeah, really dived into it. Huh? No, I, I don't think it has that, but it gets, yeah. this, you get this feeling I, from the, the ether that it's like when you go no. into that, you're going to get this racism shit. And you're like, oh, no, that's not that at all. <laughs> you know? I so. totally agree. When I first, you know, I had heard that about Mencius Moldbug, just like you said, voices in the, in the midst, I guess. But then I heard, I started reading him. Well, I heard him on podcast and then I started reading Mencius Moldbug and I thought, I don't, I don't get the, the racist stuff or there's some evil, scary stuff's brilliant. I thought, um, I, I, I wouldn't consider myself an NRX uh, guy through and through by any means, but I look at, they have a lot of interesting things to say and, I always am willing to hear and read things like that. And I, there's always things I can take away from it without having to say, I agree with everything they do or say. Um, so I, I think there's, they have a very good take on explaining and understanding politics as they actually are. Not as how we want them to be in the abstract or how we're trying to get them to be. No, it's here it is. This is the reality deal with it as it is. And so I, I like, I find that refreshing really. And some people call it black pilled, but I think it's kind of a white pill to be able to get out of your little abstract philosophy bubble in, in, and understand things as they actually are. And, and the, just the term, the cathedral, how many people has that helped understand the structures of power and how, how strong they are and how they're focused squarely against us Things like that are very valuable, I think. Yeah, I think you touched on something there too that I want to expound on. Um, I feel like uh, me being an agorist, I, I mean, you, one of these criticisms may not apply to your your line of thought as much, but I frequently get the accusations that I'm blackpilled or that I'm, and even then the one that actually kind of probably irritates me more is that it's like, oh, I'm just so principled. No, I'm actually like, I'm very, I don't know if you've taken a Sterner dive, I'm very amenable to Sterner's concepts where it's like, you know, kind of the, might makes right time stuff. I'm more coming from a strategic perspective. I don't think I'm coming from this because I just feel like this is the strategic way to go. It's not that I have any 
any necessarily principles or like, oh, I can't do that. If I felt like somehow utilizing any of these parties was a useful endeavor, I mean, damn straight, I'd be advocating it. I just, I don't think they are. And it's, it's, I mean, maybe I'll be shown to be wrong later at a later time, but I, I personally, I don't see that. So for me, I mean, I, I, I guess the Blackfield thing is for be more, uh, makes sense for you, but I do get irritated with like the principled one because it's like, now I'm being anyone who understands Sterner knows that like he says, uh, uh principles should serve you and you, sh- you shouldn't serve your principles. So like if my principles at all are fucking me over or they don't apply the real world, they go out the window real fucking quick. Like, yes. cause then they're not good principles. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with that. My wife always makes this jokes about some of our friends that you're kind of uh, hinting about is, is there's a, it's a movie with Tom Hanks where he's got this band, young band in the sixties or whatever. And there's a meme that a guy walking off by himself and other people are at the table laughing. And a guy goes, Where, where's he going off to write his, his hit song all alone in his room called alone in my principles. And it's like, yeah, and Matt Erickson once said, I think principles were are are what's written on the gravestone of a dead man or something like that. Um, they don't care about our principles. And so if again, if you want to get into politics, politics is war by other it's just by another name, basically. So they're in politics, your principles will have to be uh, to win compromised a bit, you know, and and it depends what they are, really. For an agorist, maybe, Voting is against principles. It's not for me personally, but I know that exists for some people. And, uh, you know, if someone is wants me and my family and, and my friends and my like-minded people up against a wall, then I don't, you know, my principles are that they shouldn't be around. And I, I would like to do everything I can to insulate my community from people like that. Yeah, I would actually push back on a little bit because I've been hearing a lot of talk similar to that where it's like, and I guess I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth a little bit here, but the, people will say like, oh, you know, we can't be so principled or this, that. It's like, well, maybe you just have shit principles because if yeah. your principles don't apply to the real world, they're shit principles. So like maybe get better principles. And so that's kind of where and that's actually to kind of lead into our next point because um, uh, I want to talk on the Praxian route. I do think there's something to praxis and actually applying your principles, which is, you know, kind of touches on my agorism roots. I feel like you fucking start doing that and you can actually start kind of writing your ship on the proper principles. Because if you have principles that are leading you the wrong way, yes. it's, it's kind of the whole conversation. It's a whole thing where people talk about communism. Like, oh, it's great in theory. It's like, well, no, your theory sucks then. Yes. So like in people, so that's why I do actually kind of get irritated, spurg out a little bit with a lot of people who have this talking point of like, oh, we can't be so principled or, you know, like we need to like, you know, bend here or that. And like, well, maybe you need to like rethink your theory or rethink your principles. Like uh, maybe it's not serving you well. And that's not to say I have the correct principles because, you know, if I get to a point where I don't feel like they're serving me and my ends, then it's like, well, maybe I need to rethink my principles. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Here's a, p- a perfect example is, uh, last I checked, now if, correct me if I'm wrong out there, and, and Jose, you probably don't know because I know you don't love, a, you're not a party guy, but even when I was a hardcore libertarian party guy growing up, they kept saying, well, the, the LP won't take federal funds if they get to the 5% or whatever this magic number was. And I thought, well, then you're, what the fuck? You're not going to have any chance. You have to take the federal funds. Well, no, we don't believe in tax. It's like, well, then what are you doing? You're not going to 
then you're in a, you're losing this game. So again, uh, I understand deep down that taxation is theft. Yes. But if you're entering politics and you want to play on the same field as these people that don't give a fuck about your principles, you're going to have to figure out something. And that's just the cold reality. That's why I like NRX and people like uh, James Burnham, because they teach you, look, here's how it really is. It doesn't matter what you think or what you want. Here's how it is. Here's the system you work within. Now figure it out. And to sit there and say, well, our principles is that we don't like taxes, so we won't take federal matching funds. It's like, well, then you'll never have a chance. So what are you doing? Yeah, which I mean, leads for me leads me to the point of like I don't think the LP should exist. Yeah, uh, personally, which I mean, I guess I wouldn't use that as my crowning example why, but it's one of them. It's kind of like uh, you you're here on these contradictions in your principles, but it's like so either your principles suck or your your what you're utilizing sucks. So it's one mm-hmm. of the two. So I mean, uh, with that, let's I want to move into the Praxian thing, which has been a new thing that's come up. Uh, and I know Pop, Andrew from Popular Liberty kind of in some senses kind of spearheaded this movement but i do think it's kind of been this convergent of different thoughts which we kind of got into here all these different things where it's like they're kind of converging and i've been saying as of late that when you have multiple uh people getting to the same conclusion through different lines of logic mm-hmm. i'm not saying that that means it's true but i think that means you should fucking you know you know like pay attention and be like oh what's going on here because I, I mean that's yeah, I, I think there's something there. I'm not, I'm not even saying the Praxian route's 100% true, but it's getting at something. It, it, there, there's a lot of this, like I said, there's like all these different things we just brought up here. A lot of these different things are kind of pointing sort of toward this, even agorism sort of, because mm-hmm. I know uh, Andrew kind of points out he almost has like a two-pronged approach where it's mm-hmm. like you have the agorism on the one side and you kind of have the uh, like it's like GOP Mises kind of stuff on the other, mm-hmm. which I mean, obviously I disagree with one, but even then I conceded earlier that if you really, 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 really feel like you have to be involved in politics, I'd much rather you do that. Because it's like, as an agorist, I always get super irritated when people fucking say, oh, well, you know, like the LP guys be like, well, you guys can go do your agorism and we'll provide political cover for you. I'm like, the fuck you will? Mm-hmm. Like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you went yeah. to do shit. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I, if you have any thoughts on the praxing approach, I think it's very interesting that it's kind of like... Uh, yeah well here's why what i find interesting i i am and i guess you know we've all got our little bubbles i'm in a bit of one with these praxian guys so as to approach it from outside of my own perspective what does it mean to you like when you say it it's almost like part of me is like oh wow other people know about this what what what, what does it what thoughts does it conjure up what praxian mm-hmm and names, thoughts, like, yeah, I didn't even know as much out there in the in the lexicon at this point. Uh, what it brings to me, I don't know. It just seems to be an approach that makes more sense. Obviously, I like I've said, I said, I do agree that I personally think the agorism route is better. But I understand there are people who feel like they need to be involved in politics. So I would prefer, if you're going to, to at least do it more effectively. Uh, I think that may have its pitfalls, but, I mean, I could be wrong. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I just... I do feel like it makes more sense. I also think uh, po- popular liberties like concept of archotropism has a lot yeah. of cool implications. Um, I mean, for me with like agorism, I, it really does fit a lot of things there. And even with the wealth power influence type stuff, because yes. uh, if you're, because for me, like I would rather most of, or I'd rather people go the agorism route and to yeah. apply archotropism to that, it would kind of be like, 
by me applying agorism, it would kind of essentially create liberty in a localized area. And with that, it would then increase increase the um, authority in other areas. So it's essentially like it's, uh, I mean, this, this uh, I don't know if you were familiar with how hydraulics works and stuff. It's kind of like, or how fluid works. Like it's like if you're pushing it into a little area, it becomes more concentrated. So like say we have 10 square feet and in uh, like five square feet of it is fucking, you know, liberty. Five square feet is uh, authority. If I like push, you know, further into that fucking authority space with my liberty, that just makes it more concentrated in that like other area. So I do think it kind of, for me, I like how it kind of fits that. Uh, I mean, we're going a little bit tangent here, but it does. It's kind of like for me, I, it would be almost like ideally the way I see the future going. Like if we apply like agorism or even praxian, it would kind of almost essentially create these little city states of fucking um, t- tyranny, which whatever. I don't care. I feel like the, the once you create this wider divide between liberty and author- uh, liberty and statism, it becomes more apparent and the, the choice becomes more. Uh, I mean, it may not be entirely voluntary, but it becomes more voluntary. If you're yeah. living in the shitty little like city state, that's basically a little technocratic North Korea. And then you have these like rural areas that are far more liberty minded, maybe not a hundred percent, you know, anarchy. If you choose to live in that shithole that or not the shithole, but like the, the technocratic little North Korea, it's kind of at, at some point it's on you. I mean, like, and that's kind of how I would like to see the future going forward. And I do like how his archetropism applies to that. I know it's kind of like right now the praxian things kind of this convoluted different things that are kind of coming together. Yeah. But I do think it's cool how all these ideas are coalescing. Me so, too. Yeah. There's there's elements of you've you've done a good job at picking up on a lot of it. There's mm-hmm. elements, obviously, Andrew from Popular Liberties got his archetropism stuff, which I find like I learn more about it each time I hear him talk about it. Because there's little things, you know, that sink in. It's like when you watch a very well done movie and for the fifth time and you realize, oh, shit, I didn't even think about this part before. Um, and then there's elements of agorism, certainly. Uh, I think, you know, I almost feel weird mentioning names, but th- there are people within this Praxian group that certainly uh, lean towards agorism. And so when you, like, you said it perfectly, when you combine it with Andrew's archetropism, it's all about finding a way to get from where we are now to where we would like to be. And so there's elements we can pull from different camps. And basically you've stated it quite well. I think that's what we're trying to kind of uh, talk out together and figure out right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's kind of cool that we're all kind of also saying LP sucks, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I mean, not it sucks. I'm going to try shit on those people. Cause like I said, uh, I've said before that it's one of those things when we're talking tactics, there is very much a subjective uh, element to where it's like, we kind of don't know. There isn't these like perfect principles that we can apply. They're like, this will do this perfectly. So I could, I will, I I'm the first one to concede. I could be entirely wrong. And I don't know. The LPMC guys could be entirely right. But in, and I do want to say, I've been saying this multiple times lately that there is a, I think that the movement at large or whatever you want to call it should get used to having adult conversations about tactics. That'd because be nice. I, I, yeah. I think I, I've seen a lot where people get immediately butthurt and yeah. I don't, it's like, cause I feel like they conflate it with the, uh, the certain elements, the, uh, the elements of bad faith, the Sarwarks, the Fakertarians, the whatever, yeah. uh, those folks like those kinds, the bad faith elements, 
should be laughed off, should be like ridiculed at, or and or ignored. I think and, they should be ignored. Yeah. If you're at a level to where you're giving credence to anything, those people, I don't even, I don't, you won't even say their names, the people you just talked about, and we all know who they are. That's not even a fight I would have any interest in at all. Like, I find those people to be of such little importance that I, for people that I do think are important and, and care about and, and like, I find it weird to even acknowledge the idiocy of you're talking about losers in a small sandbox. Couldn't care less about yeah. people. And so, yeah, I've always found it kind of baffling when, when good people give any credence to things that, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want those people in my community. So I wouldn't, I don't care what they, I just want them gone. Yeah, so, not in my community. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm starting to come along to that more too. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a little bit of petty part of me that likes to ridicule, then ignore. I know it's kind of like you state your point and then you ignore them. And uh, But I have been, as of late, coming more across to that. Like, I'm the one who, I mean, not to drop na the name again, I'm not going to, but a certain individual, actually multiple individuals, I've been starting block movements. And you see their reach. Uh, like, if you go and unblock them and you go and check and see some of their, like, tweets or whatever, not to get in, like, Twitter world, but, like, you see how once you create these mass movements of blocking or ignoring them, their reach just disappears mm. because they were only You're existing right. in their hate. Yeah. That's a good point because yeah. some of these people that we, and we know who they are, I obviously don't follow them, but I would, they'd be in my feed. And it's because someone I do follow would comment or like or something. And it's, and I used, to, I actually did think, why am I seeing this idiot? Like, I don't care about this person mm -hmm. at all. And so, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe the blocking, maybe I will not see their stuff anymore. So yeah. thank you if that's the yeah. case. Which I have, like I said, one of those people I'm, I'm known for causing a block movement for one of them. And you go look at their tweets now, they will have like two likes and no comments. Yeah. And this good. was someone who used to be a big deal. Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 I don't know, it shows something that there is something to when you, um, when you like, when you position yourself as being against something, to some extent, you create power for them, which I think that kind of plays in a lot of the archetropes or the, uh, NRX. of his concepts. Yeah, that, or NRX as well. Both so it's kind of like you have to move past that instead of being just like the opposite to it or being against it, which I mean, yeah. I know that's with the praxis with the state. To some yep. extent, you just got to move past it. I mean, if, we're, if you're just constantly combating it to some extent, I mean, maybe not giving it legitimacy, but you're giving it some sort of, you know, I don't know what the word I'm for. Maybe like your time, your effort, you're giving it, you're giving it some power. You're more power. Yes. And that's, it, it, your enemy that you're trying to fight, the last thing you want them to do, if they are more powerful, now this might not be the best example. Some of those guys have zero power, but mm -hmm. um, one of the archetropism points that I think, think is very valuable, if you're fighting a system or, a, or an entity much more powerful than yourself, the last thing you want to do is to put yourself out there ready for the fight in public because they're going to use you as an example and squash you. So there's ways to do things behind the scenes that I think are much more effective. Uh, and, and for instance, see, I don't even want to say this. on So let me give it an analogy. If, if a company is trying to force vac vaccine passports on their employees, the employees need to quietly organize behind the scenes and get ready and, and, and have an exact plan step-by-step step of what they're going to do 
in order to fight this and defeat it. The, the last thing you would want to do is publicly announce on a social media platform or something, I'm going to fight this, this company and I'm going to win before you have a plan. And so that's, that's some of the value I find that Andrew has helped me uh, discover with archotropism is, is things like that. And uh, January 6th, unfortunately, is a very good example that at the time I saw it going down and I thought, wow, this is amazing. And uh, look what it's brought us now. Tight, you know, there's going to be basically a Patriot Act against uh, freedom fighters in America or something like that, you know, domestic terrorists. And so I'm not sure that helped. I think that probably hurt the long run. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, one cool thing to touch on the NRX again is it really points out NRX does a good job of pointing out that like, hey, this system that you're against, it has been it has been a, a, it's been around for forever and slowly evolving to be against you like this is a losing yeah. game so like i mean if i mean i obviously me coming from more of an aggressive approach but even in the praxis and i think approach does kind of take into account you need to realize that like you're not just going to be able to go in there and get what you want just like you need to i don't know just going there and fighting this losing game it's kind of almost like playing penny slots like if mm-hmm. you were going to play it every single day for your entire life you're going to lose in the long run like these are designed to lose like just the odds are against you. So that's like something you need to keep in mind when you're playing this game. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's better just to not play the game. And I don't know, there's something there. Um, but yeah, I think we're kind of getting at a good point. Uh, is there anything else that you really want to hit on that that we didn't hit on or any other points you want to hit? Or are you good? <laughs> what, what got you into agorism as a, like, did you read Rothbard and then Konkin? Is, uh, what, was those, what was the process? I'm curious, not to be, turning yeah. on to where no, I'm no, the interviewer now, but I'm interested. Oh, no, I'm, I'm good with it. Um, for me, I don't know. I read Konkin. I mean, I did read Rothbard first. Konkin, I didn't, like, it was probably in the beginning of the lockdowns I read. Or maybe it was probably right before them. And uh, actually, you know what? It was a 2016 election because uh, Jorgensen was trash. And that kind of, like, got me a little disillusioned. I think it was her. 2016 not- was Johnson. Huh? 2016 was oh, Johnson. Oh, shit. I'm- I'm so awful with, with, with times, uh, the fucking 2020 then, whatever, my bad. Uh, <laughs> or I guess it'd be more like 2019 at that point. But okay. anyway, she was awful. She wasn't pushing back on the lockdown stuff. I read Konkin and it really explained a lot of stuff. And I also think, uh, for those out there, I, especially in today's day and age, Konkin has a lot to say, especially about the public private divide, which we didn't really touch on it here. Mm-hmm. I've said many times, us uh, and caps or just libertarians in general, we tend to have this binary view of the public and private and Konkin does a good job of making that a spectrum. Not to sound like an annoying lefty, but I do think that it's something we need to apply. Like shifting our approach of public and private from a binary to spectrum has implications. Yeah. So like, you know, so instead of looking at Amazon and, you know, having this Ayn Rand view of like, look how great they are. You need to be like, no, like that, yeah, it may not be a hundred percent public, but it sure as fuck ain't private. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, right. and it's like you should try your best to try to like move away from these things if you can. Like, obviously, if you can't, if you are like, obviously, Amazon provides a cheaper product. If you're in a place where you can't, but it's stuff like that. I I, I did start reading Konkin around that time. It had a lot of explanatory power for a lot of stuff or, or uh, explanatory. Yeah, I guess that works for the stuff that was going on. And yeah, it just kind of appealed to me. I mean, I, I wouldn't say whenever it comes to labels, I wouldn't say I'm like a hundred percent like like an agorist. I agree with every single thing he said, but it's just it's probably the cl- the best label to describe me. 
I mean, maybe if, if the wealth, power and influence guys come up with a, with a catchier title, I could probably even say that because I, I kind of find myself like in between both of them, although I feel like they're describing the same things, but packaged differently. I just, I guess I've just become disillusioned and to even touch on the MR, NRX stuff, I don't think utilizing the system is something that is going to work out in the long run. Like, I think, like, I, I think it's kind of almost like a casino to use a, the thing I used before, the, use, using the politics. It's like, you may have these wins here and there, but over the long run, you're going to lose. And the more you feed into it, the more you buy into it. So it's like, yeah, you may have this political win here, but you kind of just fed into this power a little bit to where now you have kind of created this proof of concept in some people's eyes. Like, oh, we should do this. But it's like, no, this is a losing game overall. So you, like, I don't know. That's kind of how I did. I read Konkin. It just explained a lot. I mean, I do think he kind of missed some things. Uh, I would highly suggest everyone read it. It really is interesting to see. At the end of NLM, he had a had a he sent out that book to multiple people to critique, and he had a Rothbard critiqued it. And there was actually yeah. back and forth letters with him and Rothbard that were really interesting. Yes. And I like yeah. find myself kind of torn between the two because uh, Conk is known economically for being very. I mean, he doesn't view things in a binary. So a lot of people give him shit like he's saying you absolutely have to be like an entrepreneur and like not have these like hierarchical organizations. He just thinks, and I actually kind of agree with him that in like a pure anarchy world, that that's kind of how things would work out. It'd be more decentralized, more entrepreneurial. Um, where, but I don't know, he didn't look at it as a binary. A lot of people get caught in that, but it's very interesting. I'm kind of droning on now, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I find that interesting. Yeah. I like talking to people about their kind of uh, journeys like that, discoveries. Yeah, no, Conkin was great. Uh, I highly suggest you even read it. Even if you don't want to like be, I'm not trying to convert people. I think even like hell, even like uh, like if you are going to utilize the uh, political stuff, I think he has a lot to add, even just to the rhetoric. Like especially because even now we I, like we kind of touched on with principles earlier. We I've seen so many people that are up on the on the public stage that are saying shit like they don't know how to use the correct rhetoric in regards to the public private divide. And yep. they are still stuck in this binary view. And they're like, they'll say shit like, oh, we need to betray our principles for this or that. It's like, no, you don't. You just have shit principles. Like <laughs> you're looking at it through a binary. Like these aren't a binary. They're, they're like, and I don't know why people struggle with it so much. It's like, it's very simple. Like you don't have to be like, well, you know, we're a little bit wrong here. Like you don't have to concede any ground. You can right. be like, no, like this is fascism. This is this merger of public and state, like whatever. Right. Um, yeah. But with that, you want to go ahead and drop your plugs? Sure. It's yeah. uh, the easiest thing is counterflowpodcast.com. It's got all my links on there Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter's at Buck Rebel, B U C K R E B E L. I've got a Telegram group that's fun to be in all the time. Uh, Counterflow with Buck Johnson. Oh, a YouTube page. So the first two years of my show, it was Death Tyrants. I just had the screenshot of my cover art on the YouTube videos. And so I never uh, plugged it at all. I never talked about it. The, the videos just went up there. And now that I'm doing these live streams and every episode of the podcast is video and it's put up on the YouTube page, I'm trying to slowly get more traffic to that. My guy, Justin, does all this amazing video work for me. And so... Go to the YouTube page, Counterflow with Buck Johnson. You can just search it. Everyone knows how to do that. Subscribe, please. And you'll get notified when I do these live streams uh, that I do. 
uh, fairly fairly frequently as much as I can. And those do not go to the podcast feed. They're only on YouTube, but all of the podcasts are on YouTube. So do that. Do that. And uh, thanks, Jose. Yeah, no problem. No, uh, Justin is great, by the way. I just wanted his show Fact Check This the other day. So yeah. you're listening, go check him out. He's good stuff. He does a lot of good work. He's like the uh, silent guy behind a lot of the big dogs in the movement. Um, he is. He is. A, he's a great guy. Um, I'll definitely go check out Bug. You or Buck or Bug? A uh, Buck. Uh, he's a. He's got a great show. He's definitely more big brain than a lot of my stuff is. He's a lot of great guests. The most recent one that I really liked was the one with Jason Rink, which was uh, fascinating. Yeah. He was yeah. so fucking good. I, I knew he'd be pretty good, but damn. shit, he started talking. I was like, damn, this is much better than I anticipated, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, no, I mean, it was yeah, just fascinating because he, for those listening now, he kind of covered, he was doing like a documentary and he was originally supposed to be like the uh, voter like type stuff. And then voter it pride. kind of naturally leaked into the January 6th stuff. So it sounds like he's kind of getting a two for one here. And but. Yep. You know, uh, really, it's January 6th stuff that you're kind of like, holy shit. Um, yeah. yeah, January 7th, he sat down with the Buffalo Shaman guy in his hotel room, you yeah. know, without realizing the hell that he was going to go through. But he sat down with him, had an interview, went over everything that he did. It was It's wild. Yeah, no, I'm uh, really looking forward to that coming out. And I'm going to try to get him on my show. I still haven't emailed yet. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I want to get him on my show. Because I think anyone listening out here, if you're any uh, anyone who has any sort of influence, any podcast, whatever, uh, you definitely need to get this guy on because that's the big part of this thing is that he was talking on how he's getting blocked from everywhere. He got nuked from yeah. Facebook, all sorts of shit. So he's gonna have he's probably gonna have some issues pushing this out. So yeah. we need to like you know once again kind of you know create the product where we've created essentially our own infrastructure of uh of distribution here. So let's use it, you know, with us podcasters and such. So um, with that, I am the No Way. Um, this is No Way Jose. I'm on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. I'm on every podcatcher pretty much. I'm on Odyssey. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Galley San Jose. Currently in a seven day for calling an annoying, annoying faggot and an annoying faggot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? Jeremiah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I don't care. Say it. He's he fucking. I don't even care. He uh he I dropped a promo for uh, my episode with Thad. And he put a, he immediately, like within seconds, he dropped a fucking age of consent article on there. And so I just insta blocked him. I was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it was funny too, because he accused me of being like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want people to know. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I just like, you're not going to, like, this is, I don't know, that just seemed like a bitch move, really. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a very leftist tactic. I, I see a lot of that out there. Yeah, that was a, I don't know. The only thing I regret is not like changing up the words so the algorithm didn't catch me. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, whatever. I don't regret blocking him at all. Um, fuck him. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. With that, uh, yeah. Uh, Patreon.com. There's no way Jose 2020. I think I already said my Twitter handle at Galley San Jose. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. And I really appreciate you coming on, man. Stick around. Yes, and shoot the shit after. All right. all right, we're out. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.